Welcome to Fixated, the Fixed Income Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Moran, Editorial Director of Fixed Income News Australia. Join me every week as I talk about the latest news, views and education in fixed income investment. I'll be joined by industry experts from Australia and across the globe. Welcome to Fixated. Today I have with me Chris Black, who is Managing Director at Alexander Funds Management. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm well, Liz. How's it going down in Melbourne? Are you getting some sunshine yet? Uh, Actually, the weekend was lovely. Um, it wasn't planning on being, but that's Melbourne weather for you. It turned out to be uh, very sunny, so it's great. Uh, fantastic. So today we're going to talk a little bit about um, your role as portfolio manager, fund manager, how you go about selecting securities and your thoughts on markets at the moment. Let's start broadly. What are you thinking about interest rates and inflation and just generally the market? Yes, it, it, we're a, an interesting time, I think. Uh, at Alexander Funds, we certainly think inflation is probably more than um, than transitory, which seems to be uh, the general opinion of of the broader market at this point. Uh, So we think that inflation, um, maybe not necessarily in 2021, but certainly 2022, 2023 could become a a major issue. And we've had a look at, say, 10-year treasuries over the last three to four weeks uh, they've certainly uh, certainly been on the rise, uh, and uh, and certainly there's there's been some CPI components that uh, that look a bit uh, concerning, but once again we, we we certainly think inflation will be an issue at some point, um, whether it's whether it's over the next three to six months or over the next uh, two to three years, uh, we probably think more of the latter. Um, so. In terms of uh, in terms of the markets, uh, we think that inflation is likely to cause volatility in risk assets, and uh, that generally feeds into the credit markets. So we're going to see some some volatility in the credit markets, and and one of the issues that the uh, credit managers have faced over the last uh, couple of years is that we've been in a very low interest rate environment. And so if we do see the, uh, some volatility in, uh, in risk assets, that, uh, that could certainly upset credit managers that, um, that have been enticed into, into going, uh, adding more risk in their portfolio and in, in terms of either credit duration or in terms of uh, going, down, uh, the, the, uh, going down the ratings curve. And so we'll, you know, if we do have this volatility in the market, uh, we are likely uh, to see some, um, perhaps some, um, some poorer results for, for credit managers that, uh, uh, that, you know, have extended themselves in this, in this current environment. So it's a, it's a really interesting time. Uh, you know, we've had a period of 12 to 18 months where we've had very low levels of volatility, but I think... Um, I think that's going to change over the next 12 to 18 months. So then are you positioning your portfolios to take advantage of that? Are you perhaps holding a bit more in cash than you might otherwise would or what actions have you taken to anticipate that higher volatility? Yeah, so, so we've been we're quite fortunate, I think, in the market in the sense that uh, we've been able to maintain our level of yield within both of our portfolios 
without doing either of the things that I mentioned. So in terms of credit duration, which is one measure of risk within the portfolio, the credit duration of, of both of our uh, funds, the Alexander Credit Opportunity Fund and the Alexander Credit Income Fund, has both been at the lowest levels uh, that they've ever been. So for the Credit Opportunity Fund, uh, it's down, our credit duration is down at 1.7 years. Um, and the credit income fund, it's around 2.3 years. Chris, I should just ask you to explain credit duration for our listeners, for some of those that don't understand it. Sure. Yeah. So credit duration is just it is an indication of how the portfolio will perform if, uh, if credit spreads move by one basis point wider or 100 basis points wider. Uh, and if you've got a... Sim- uh, simply, if you have a credit duration of two years and credit spreads move wider by 1%, your portfolio will lose around 2%. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you're talking about a bond, it might trade at, at uh, par. Uh, if credit spreads move wider by 100 basis points and it's got a two-year credit duration, it its price will fall to uh, $0.98 cents in the dollar. Great, great. So low credit duration in your portfolios. Um, let's just go back to, to interest rates. Let's, I want to stick at the higher level for a moment. So if you're thinking um, inflation is going to go be higher in the next sort of 12 months plus, are you also anticipating higher interest rates which will actually feed back into new issuance, corporate bonds and loans, uh, et cetera? Uh, yeah, we, we do think, firstly, we think that um, uh, that long-end bonds uh, are going to fall in terms of price and that the yield on long-end bonds is going to rise. Uh, we do think that at some point you're going to have central banks have to, have to raise rates. Uh, central Bank of New Zealand raised rates last week, I think, uh, and you, but domestically I don't think uh, that uh, that the RBA is going to raise rates significantly over the next couple of years. And, and one of the problems we have in Australia is we've got um, so much leverage, especially um, in the housing sector, that it's a kind of, a, it's almost a self-regulating system where if we raise rates too fast, uh, housing prices will, um, will start to fall dramatically. Uh, that, you know, the wealth uh, impact that has uh, is will be significant, um, and it just means that economic activity domestically will uh, uh, will, will, will likely to fall, which will um, mean that, that rates effectively have a cap. Great, great. And any other thoughts while we're talking property about the property market? Because I know your funds are invested in RMBS, and we'll get to that. But um, any other thoughts on what the property market might do in the next few years? Uh, look, we're we're of the view that the property market's likely to flatline over a long period of time from from these kind of levels. Um, we we have been in RMBS. Our allocation to RMBS is probably at its lowest levels than it's ever been. Uh, the Credit Opportunity Fund, for example, uh, has currently around fifteen percent allocation to to RMBS. Back five or six years ago, that was that was above fifty percent. So we certainly like uh, the the. RMBS market, but the thing about the RMBS market is that you can still have um, declines in the property market, and uh, given 
uh, given the structural uh, features of of RMBS products, you can be well protected even if the housing market comes off. So um, we think our base case, as I said, is, is housing flat lines over, over a long period of time. But even in our uh, worst case scenarios, the RMBS we hold is, uh, is very secure actually. Um, and again, it comes down to the structural features of the RMBS market, just because a housing market might come off does not necessarily mean that um, that uh, RMBS product uh, isn't still good value. No, I've liked RMBS for a long time. I think it is a really um, a good asset to hold. It's floating rate. There are a lot of protections, as you mentioned, which sort of leads me to the next question: um, Why why have you sold off on on that subsector, and where where have you reallocated those funds? Yeah, good question, Liz. Look. Uh, what we've been able to do is we've been able to tap into other opportunities in the market. We look at, uh, at Alexander Farms, we look at everything in a relative value concept or sense. And back kind of three or four years ago, RMBS was a standout in terms of relative value. Uh, you were getting triple B product at significantly greater levels than you were able to access triple B product uh, uh, the, the kind of the price of, of uh, triple product in the debt capital markets area. Uh, however, over the last you know four or five years, and in particular the last two years or, or year and a half since um, uh, since COVID, uh, RMBS has has been in in heavy demand. And whilst we still like it as an asset uh, class, the relative value of RMBS is certainly significantly less than what it has been in the past. So we've looked to other areas of the market, and one area that we've we've found is better, much better relative value than RMBS, which is a, a very similar type product, but is uh, is warehouse funding. And uh, in warehouse funding, uh, we're able to get a triple B asset at significantly greater levels than we can get in RMBS, and therefore our appetite for RMBS has naturally declined now. As a general rule, the, the, the fixed income credit markets can be, can be hugely inefficient at times. There's always um, you know, interesting pockets of, of inefficiencies occurring at any time. Here and now, it's, it's very much in, my, in our minds, the warehouse space, you've, you've certainly got to have the expertise, you've got to focus in on those, those opportunities that, uh, that, uh, that arise, uh, but certainly at Alexander Funds, we've, we've, uh, we've been able to do that. So. Uh, so our, our appetite for RMBS, it's not that we don't like uh, the risk in RMBS, it's just the returns that we're generating out of that product is uh, significantly less than, than what we can generate in, in other areas of market for a very similar level of risk. Okay, let's let's head on to warehouse investing. So we had an article by Rachel Shirley, uh, which we published on the website recently on warehouse um, investing. Can you just run through very quickly the basics and um, the sort of the types of opportunities that you've you've found in the market? Sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting space. So we, look, we've been involved in warehouse investing for probably seven or eight years now, uh, and my background is very much in terms of these type of opportunities, structured credit, and uh, uh, areas where you know requires a lot of work. Uh, and requires a significant amount of expertise, but if you if you can get those right, then you can really take advantage of good 
good opportunities in the market. So what's going on in the market is that the, uh, there is a real growth in non-bank, uh, non-bank lenders, non-bank financial institutions. Uh, and the, the, whilst the banks have access to a whole range of different, uh, different levels of capital, whether it's, uh, whether it's deposits, uh, whether, it's, uh, whether it's subordinated debt or tier one, uh, whether it's equity, uh, non-bank financial institutions generally have a, a fairly limited access uh, to, to capital. In terms of debt financing, they can go out and buy, they can go out and, and, and uh, borrow at the corporate level, but that can be very expensive. Something that's a little bit cheaper for them is warehouse structure where they, uh, the loans that they originate get put into the warehouse structure and uh, an institution like uh, Alexander Funds can lend into uh, that, that structure. And the advantage of, of, of that structure for a group like Alexander Funds is that we can, rather than lend directly to that non-bank lender, which has a whole lot of complexity and, and, uh, and financial issues associated with it, with the warehouse structure, we get, to, we get to dictate the kind of the loans that go into that structure. We get to dictate the level of risk that we want that structure to take and, and the level of subordination that, uh, that we wish to, to have. That structure is bankruptcy remote from the originator of those loans. So the non-bank lender, if the non-bank lender defaults, uh, that that doesn't mean a default for the underlying warehouse. Uh, these structures are, are very short-dated structures. So uh, it means that if the risks within the structure change, we get to roll that uh, and, and that the, the role for that structure comes up we get to choose whether we want to roll that structure into, into another structure or not. So, uh, you know, there, there's a significant amount of, of benefits uh, in a group like Alexander Funds investing in the warehouse structure. I mean, there's, you know, there's selection of risk, the, uh, the, the fact that they're very short-dated. One of the, the main benefits, because in terms of relative value, we're always comparing risk and return. One of the main benefits is that there's there's very few in the market that have the uh, the the expertise uh, and the, uh, the 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 team to be able to do the work to be on the vest in these structures. And 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 because of that, there's a real uh, there's a real supply demand imbalance uh, here and now in investing in these structures. So, for instance. You know, if we compare a triple triple B RMBS here and now, uh, they're probably trading at around you know two to three percent over over swaps. If we are investing in a triple B uh, warehouse note, then you know we might be getting uh, we might be getting six or seven percent. If we are uh, also investing in a triple B warehouse note that's not that's kind of less vanilla than your, your general warehouse notes and when I say general warehouse notes we might be talking about uh, an RMBS note uh, residential mortgage backed security uh, sorry one that's backed by um, by residential mortgages uh, then you know you could be talking for triple B uh, RMBS you could be talking eight to nine percent so in terms of relative value these products are, are kind of just just standout opportunities here and now.
So what sort of issues have you had in terms of like default? Have you had any issues with default or illiquidity uh, if you've needed to draw funds out of those structures? Can you talk a little bit about some of those risks? Yeah, that's a really good question, Liz. So uh, in terms of defaults, uh, in terms of the RMBS and ABS market gen- more, uh, more broadly, there hasn't been any defaults uh, in Australia. We've, we've um, you know, the, the, the structure of RMBS and ABS has such that uh, it, certainly domestically and, and uh, the way in which, uh, in which uh, yeah, the structures are set up means that there haven't really been any defaults within this sector. There hasn't been any defaults in the warehouse space there's always uh, defaults of the underlying product, uh, whether you're, you know, if, you've, if you're lending into a warehouse that is backed by a pool of residential property, um, you know, there's always going to be a default here or default there. But you've got, you've generally got a huge amount of subordination and, and what they call excess spread within these structures that you kind of expect a, a set level of defaults. And, and we generally, in terms of our analysis of these products, we generally take the um, the expected level of defaults, uh, and we, uh, in terms of our stress testing, we might exaggerate that by two or three times in order to to get what we're comfortable with um, how the structure works. Uh, so that that answers your default question. In terms of the liquidity question, it's a really uh, it's a it's a good question. These products. Uh, are less liquid than, say, an RMBS product. So it's it's harder to sell a warehouse product into the market than it is an RMBS product. Uh, and not not impossible. Well, we've done it before. We've bought secondary warehouse products and we've sold secondary RMBS products. But you've got in investing in these products, you've got to assume that you're not going to be able to sell them. So. Two of the things, or a couple of things that uh, that we think about and do to offset that is that we only invest in very short dated RMBS, so uh, or a short dated warehouse. So you might have a, a warehouse, you might have a portfolio of five warehouse notes, and each of those notes might have a year to run. Uh, so you're effectively looking to roll each of those those products over every two months. So if you need liquidity and you don't want to roll it over then you know you, you, that effectively matures. The other thing that we do within Alexander Funds and the two portfolios that, that we run is that we have a bucket of what we consider less liquid product uh, and we combine it with very highly liquid product. Uh, and so we make sure that that mix is, um, is uh uh, is relevant for the liquidity in the market at that time. So when we talk about highly liquid product, we don't invest, we don't include, say, corporate bonds in that product. We only include things like uh, senior bank debt uh, and very, very liquid uh, assets that even if you, know, you get another situation like March 2000 when liquidity in the market effectively dried up, only those products can provide your liquidity. So in managing these portfolios, you know, we have to be quite uh, careful about liquidity, but we kind of solve it in a number of different ways. One is we make sure that we only invest in short-dated warehouse notes and that they roll over on a constant basis. And the other thing is we offset the, the high returns that we're achieving in these products with very highly liquid 
very low yielding but very highly liquid um, bank debt. Oh, that's really interesting. Thanks for that insight. It's it's really reminds me of a barbell strategy where you've got the, as you say, one on one side of the equation, lower yielding but highly liquid, and then the other side, you've you know, um, is that higher higher yielding but less liquid um, investment. So, uh, really interesting for that insight, Chris. As you talk, I was thinking back to March 2020. What was the funds experience then when we sort of hit the bottom of the COVID, you know, cycle, if you like? Yeah, so the, the, the two funds did well. The Credit Opportunity Fund had a mildly negative uh, month in March uh, and the, the Credit Income Fund was, uh, was down, um, down a couple of percent but not, not significantly. And one of the things that, that aided us through that period was the fact that we actively hedged the portfolio. So for both funds, we, we have an active hedging program that that looks to offset the systemic risk that we have within the portfolio. And, and whilst the, the Credit Opportunity Fund, the Alexander Credit Opportunity Fund has been around for, uh, I think, 11 years now, the, the Alexander Credit Income Fund is only three years old, uh, the, the Credit Opportunity Fund has had a, had a great history over that, uh, over that time uh, where we've we've um, successfully hedged port- the, the, the systemic risk within the portfolio when we have had these bouts of volatility. So uh, we both funds did well, and again, it was mainly due to the hedging program that we had in place, and and that's that's an important feature of of what we do within uh, at well at Alexander Funds. I'm not sure if our listeners realise, but I think the Credit Opportunities Fund, you closed that for a while, but you've reopened it, which is um, great if you're interested in investing. And um, I looked at it just briefly before we came online, 12-month return to the end of September is 6.2%, which is uh, you know, a real credit to you. Can you explain why you closed the fund for a period and why you've reopened it again? Yes. So, look, with the Credit Opportunity Fund, we uh, we really thought that um, uh, hitting into 2019 and 2020 that the opportunities in the market were, uh, were, were drying up a little bit. And look, at, at Alexander Funds, we, we've got a real focus on being able to outperform uh, the, the broader index and making sure that we, we constantly deliver um, you know, really good returns to our investors. And, and so that led us to say, look, if the opportunities in, aren't there, let's not extend the fund into areas that uh, we're not um, a lower yielding and higher risk. Let's just soft close the fund. Then we, then we had um, a couple of things occurred. We had, um, uh, we had um, volatility with, uh, with COVID. Uh, the second thing that occurred is this explosion in the in the non-bank lender space that has created significant opportunities in, in warehouse funding. Uh, and so, with these new opportunities, with you know, we want to take advantage of these. Sometimes it's actually uh, it's beneficial to be slightly larger. We're at Alexander Funds, we, you know, we're still a boutique organisation. Both the funds are still very small, which means they're very nimble. But certainly, sometimes it's it's beneficial to be slightly um, uh, slightly larger and take advantage of kind of you know a fifteen or a twenty million dollar transaction, where otherwise you could maybe only take 
take advantage of a 10 or $15 million transaction. So uh, we have reopened the funds. We'll always have an eye to, to soft closing the fund if we believe that the opportunities dry up. Because as I said, look, we're, we're, we're very focused on ensuring that um, we, we continue to generate the type of returns that we've generated over a long period of time, um, which, which we think are, are kind of quite outstanding returns for the Credit Opportunity Fund. I think that just goes to your integrity and uh, it's, it's good to see that you, um, you know, take that action, not just accept new funds and, you know, perhaps um, lower the standard of returns or your investments. Uh, I, I think that's great. Um, a couple of things. Can you talk me through particularly the Alexander Credit Opportunity Fund because it has been going, as you said, for 11 years and it has um, got, you know, had outstanding returns. What are the mix of its investments now? And I understand about 50% or you try and keep about 50% as investment grade? Uh, yes, look, the, the um, our mandate requires us to keep at least 50% investment grade uh, however, over the, the last, you know, we, we talked at the start about this temptation by fund managers maybe to, to move longer credit duration or move down the, uh, the rating spectrum. Um, we've actually gone the reverse with um, our, our credit duration within the Credit Opportunity Fund, as I said, was the, is the lowest it's, it's been really uh, since inception. And our allocation to non-investment grade is the lowest that it's ever been since inception too. So we've been able to, to move or transition into these kind of these opportunities in, in things like the warehouse space where uh, while in, in doing so, we've actually moved up the, the, uh, the credit curve. So here and now we're about, in terms of our allocation to investment grades, around 75%. I see you, can you talk a little bit about your fees? Because I, when I looked at the fees, they, were, they seemed quite high, but obviously you need a sort of a fairly technical team to assess the opportunities and, uh, you know, that's in, ex, in itself an expense. Yeah, look, it is. And uh, look, the fees for the Credit Opportunity Fund uh, are quite high. The management fee is 1.33% as a performance fee attached to it. The returns that we talk about are all after-fee returns, and we found that our investor base has never really had an issue with the fees as long as we continue to um, to perform in the way that we've performed since inception. And um, as you point out, you really need a lot of expertise and and uh, you spend a lot of time working on these type of structures. I mean, look, you know, in terms of relative value, they just they they stand out like like uh, Rudolph's nose. They're, they're just um, they're, they're fantastic opportunities, but it re- requires a lot of work. So, you know, if I think about um, the construct of our investment team, we've got a. Uh, a gentleman, Matt Oldham, who has a PhD in computational science. He's, he, he runs our data analytics team. And in regards to analysing RMBS product, ABS product, warehouse product, you know, he is, uh, you know, his expertise is vital. We've got uh, a young analyst, uh, William Kang, who joined us from, um, uh, from NAB out of their securitisation team. His understanding of legal structures in terms of the securitization warehouse notes is really um, is really very good. So you really need that specialist expertise to 
be able to get involved in this um, in this uh, in this area. Having said that, you know we understand um, that the credit Alexander Credit Opportunity Fund is a fairly unique product. It's it's um, and uh, and it's it's not right certainly for some some groups. What we did uh, three years ago in developing the um, the credit income fund is we developed a product that was probably a little bit more mainstream. It still maintained the same approach and philosophy and and, and strategy that we use for the the Alexander Credit Opportunity Fund, but it has a it has a a, a management fee of sixty five basis points, which is um, very much in uh, where other funds have their management fee. I think the range. For this type of product, it tends to be about fifty to about you know eighty-five basis points, so it's squarely in the middle of that. Um, so you know it's a daily priced fund. It's on it's on uh, M funds and uh, uh, it's on a lot of platforms. And so it's a kind of it's a, it's a more vanilla product. So we've got the you know the same strategy, but two different products with with um, slightly different fee structures. That has been great, Chris. Your insights today have been fantastic and uh, we really appreciate you coming on and, and thank you for your time and we hope you might join us again at some stage. I'd love to, Liz. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on Fixated, the fixed income podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to join us again next week. Still hungry for more fixed income news, views and education? then visit fixedincomenews.com.au and don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter to have the latest news delivered right to your inbox. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Elizabeth Moran and we'll see you next week on Fixated, the Fixed Income Podcast.